Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here at One Church, and just so excited to be with you. Glad you uh, survived the great blizzard of 2017 and the time change, and it's all good. We're glad you're here. Shout out to anyone listening over and watching over in the overflow or maybe listening live online on the live stream. We're glad you're connecting with us. If you're listening to the podcast or watching it later in the week, we love you too. We're glad that you are choosing to connect with One Church. Okay, we're in part two of 99% pure and kind of the overarching big idea of this series is that we don't want the one percent to impact all of us and so we want to have a healthy discontent with the one percent the negativity the sinfulness the poison that we allow to influence all of our life we look at a bottle of water like this and we have to wrestle with the question how much of someone else's saliva would you tolerate in that water before you refuse to drink it anymore Now, some of y'all are veteran parents. You've been drinking backwash, you know, your whole life. That's all good. I don't get down like that. Um, You know, I will be thirsty before I drink after someone under the age of 18, just keeping it real. Um, But in all seriousness, sometimes just that little drop can impact the whole thing. And so as we're discovering, as we dig into the book of Malachi, that God wants us really to go all in and to be pure. In fact, that was our big idea last week, that in view of everything God has done for us, the least that we can do is go all in. Him. So again, if you're here brand new to the church thing, you're, you're not even really connected to the church, or you might say, you know, I'm not sure about God and this Jesus stuff, just know that uh, Malachi has some really hard in-your-face kind of truths. But just know that this was not originally written for you, uh, written to you, and this message is not given as a condemnation to you. In fact, the book of Malachi is a tough conversation between God and his people. Nevertheless, we think there's something that all of us, regardless of where we are in our faith journey, regardless of where we are in our our walk in life or in our walk with the Lord, there's something we can all get out of this. And so the, the big idea of this series and wanting to go all in for God, again, it all just rests in the fact and the truth that he loves us and he saved us and he works in us and through us. And this is not a series that where we're demanding something from you. This is a series all about what we want for you. Sometimes to receive God's best, we have to really understand where we are interfering and messing up. So think about that. It's about what God wants for me, not what he wants from me. And I think you'll be all good as we go through that. We'll be in Malachi chapter two today. Uh, if you have your version app, you can find it on our live events. It'll be on the screen and we'll get there in a minute. We're talking about fakes. We're talking about fakes today. A couple of years ago, I had a crisis at home that involved television. Some of you had that crisis this week when CDE light band went out, couldn't access the internet, couldn't access your phone. I had a crisis on what to watch. I could watch the second half of the NBA All-Star game, or I could watch the Oscars. And my crisis was they both basically involved a bunch of spoiled millionaires chasing after a gold statue, right? Like, I didn't really know which one to, to, to pay attention to. No offense to the millionaires in the room. I love you. Give boldly. Glad that you're here. Um, but if... But, but seriously, uh, you know, this is not a talk today about money. No, we're not anti-millionaires, but it's not about talk about money or the love of money. That's next week. Uh, but uh, this week, we're not going to get into that as much. Seriously, though, we live in this world that is increasing in plasticity, fakeness, things not being real. We give awards to the best actor. We actually have a culture that celebrates someone's ability to be a fraud. Isn't that fascinating? Like, we actually admire people who we know they're going to get on the campaign trail and they're going to tell us a bunch of stuff, and we know they're not going to do any of it, but we say, oh, man, he said he's going to do a bunch of stuff. I'm going to believe in him, believe in her. Uh, it's, it's this weird time that we live in where it's almost like you're rewarded the more inauthentic you can be. It's fascinating. 
that we live in that, that world. It's almost like people are content to hide behind the mask of inauthenticity, almost like the old school actor's masks, right? Everyone's shielding themselves from something. No one really wanting to keep it all the way real. And nowhere else is that more evident than in this industry we call Hollywood and movie, movies and acting. In fact, we meet in a theater. So we do a, a, a at the movies series about once a year here. We meet in a theater. Our, we have the smell of, of popcorn as our incense, right? Kind of when we come in, you know, movie posters are our stained glass. It's a really cool setup that we have doing church here in a theater. Uh, but we're all about that, that environment. We, we, we're very connected to what that Hollywood type of stuff is. And so we're familiar here because there's always movies playing about what's coming out next. So when you think about what makes a movie good or makes a movie bad, we all have different criteria, right? Different things that we look at. What makes a bad movie? What's the worst movie you've seen? We, we know from the posters here and from just keeping up with it that the, the latest X-Men movie just came out, Logan. I've been talking to people about this movie. I haven't seen it. I've been talking to people about this movie. And I've had several people even today tell me it was a terrible movie, like they didn't like it. And I try to dig deeper, like, what didn't you like about it? You know, was it too dark? Was it too whatever? And everyone just kind of has a, it was just, yeah, just blah, you know? It wasn't what I was expecting, or it was so the op. Just for whatever reason, we have something that makes us like a movie or not like a movie. For me, what makes a movie bad is the acting. If it has bad act, it could have the worst special effects. It could have corny jokes. It could, you know, it could be one guy standing in a black room, and if he's entertaining and the acting's good, I'll watch it. But, man, bad acting, uh, hands down, just makes movies uh, terrible for me. I think the reason a lot of people don't want to connect with the local church, they don't want to connect with biblical community, is because the acting is so bad. The acting is so terrible. They come in expecting something, and they see a bunch of bad actors and it turns them off from following Jesus. They see us looking for, you know, they see us representing God in maybe a way that doesn't line up with what the preacher's saying or doesn't line up with what the Bible's saying or doesn't line up with what we claim to be. It's bad acting, and it makes people want nothing to do with Jesus. We get caught up in this culture that peddles inauthenticity, and it ends up being a reflection even in the church. People come to us looking for answers, but instead, we look for our, our answers in the, of the, the answers to the deepest and, and darkest issues, the deepest things. We end up looking for them in the shallow, in the superficial stuff. We pray for easy solutions, quick fixes, and people come to us looking for truth, and instead, we reflect the opposite. And I wonder, could it be that it's just because we live in a world full of fakes? A world full of fakes. That word hypocrite that we read in the New Testament. Malachi is in the Old Testament, but the word hypocrite we mean, it, it, we read in the New Testament, it actually means uh, an actor. It's literally, that's what that word means, one who's playing a part. In the Old Testament, where Malachi is found, there is no literal word hypocrite found in the Old Testament, but the concept of someone claiming to be something and then living out a different way, or someone who claims to worship God and then lives a godless life, that concept is all throughout the Old Testament. So from Old Testament to New, from Genesis to Revelation, we see this constant war that's waged uh, between God's ways and those who would put on and act. In spite of our predisposition to the plastic, though, here's the good news. God, in his mercy, loves us anyway. We learned that last week. I have always loved you, says the Lord. He loves us, and he has this great plan for us, and he's called us to be, not just appear to be. And that's really our big idea today, simply this. As Christ followers, we're called to be, 
and not just appear to be. Not just authenticity in our faith, but authenticity in every single area of our lives. So let's look at Malachi chapter 2 and see how we can connect this Old Testament passage to God speaking to a specific group of people at one time in history for their hypocrisy and how we can connect that to us today. And again, chapter 1 starts us off with kind of this dialogue, this argument between God and his people. And just remember that as we go through Malachi, it's basically God makes a charge against the people. You're behaving like this. And then the people say, how are we behaving like that? And then God gives them the proof. And so much of Malachi is that kind of back and forth dialogue. So let's jump into chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, listen, you priests, this command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's armies, or I will bring a terrible curse against you. I will curse even the blessing you receive. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you have not taken my warning to heart. I will punish your descendants and splatter your faces with the manure from the festival sacrifices, and I will throw you on the manure pile. What an encouraging verse that is to read this morning. Did God really just say what I think he said? It sounded to me like he said, I am going to throw all your crap back in your face. And then just when you wipe it off, I'm going to stick your face in a big steaming pile of your waste. That's what I think of your sacrifices and your worship. Why would God come out with guns blazing like that? Like he could calm down a little bit, right? God, drink some coffee. Relax, man. It's not that serious. He's really angry with them. uh, And he has cause to do it. He basically told the priests you are being so hypocritical. It's disgusting. I want to rub your faces with this stuff. He, he went that. Now, it's important we understand what this kind of priestly hypocrisy was about. Remember, in God's, in the Old Testament, you may not know this, but in the Old Testament, God had a very specific system by which man accessed him and by which man worshiped him. So there were priests, and the priests were the mediators, the middlemen between the people and God. So if you wanted forgiveness for your sins, you'd go to the priest, he'd do the sacrifice, and bippity-boppity-boo, boom, God heard your prayer, you can move on with your life. That's kind of the way that it worked. Not that simple, but we don't have the time to really get into it. But just, just stay with me. It was a very complex system. So if the priests were not doing the right thing, they were kind of the foundation for the worship. If the priests get it wrong, everything else becomes complicated and everything else is wrong. And so the priests weren't acting the right way. We learned last week they were accepting blemished sacrifices. It was compromising the worship system. And so it was causing other people to stumble and to fall as well. The reason God is so angry is because the priest or the people who are supposed to be representing God were not only being hypocritical, they were leading others to be fake too. Now, what does that have to do with us? We're not in the Old Testament times or in the New Testament times. Here's what the New Testament tells us. It says that God has now, those of us who are in Christ, we are actually this people, this nation, this kingdom of priests and believers. The Bible tells in Hebrews there's only one middleman between, between man and God now, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. So the system we live in now, we are the ones who represent God to everyone else. Are you with me? So we don't have a priest that I have to pray to now because of Jesus. I can talk straight to God. I have access to him. But the catch is, when I say I'm in Christ, John tells us this, I have to live as Jesus did. Now I'm the one that's representing God to everyone else. And so this issue of being a fake is very important for those of us who are in Christ. None of us wants to be a hypocrite. At least I don't think. 
No one wants to be a liar. Maybe you're here, you're like me, you want God's best. You want all that comes with being who God wants you to be. The only way we can do that, as we're going to find out, is I have to completely trust in him. I have to completely let go of my want, what I want, and trust in God. Now, here's what we're not talking about. When we talk about hypocrisy, we're not talking about failing to be perfect. We're not talking about failing to be perfect. If I preach a sermon on the importance of being calm, cool, and collected under pressure, if I preach a sermon about the importance of not losing your temper, and then I go home and lose my temper, that does not make me automatically a hypocrite. You know what that makes me? Human. It makes me a human being. It doesn't make me a hypocrite at all. What makes me a hypocrite is if I go home and lose my temper and act like I didn't just preach a sermon about losing my temper. If I don't instantly return to God, if I don't say, oh man, I know I've blown it, if I don't keep that Christ-like posture, or worse, if I walk around acting like I never lose my temper and then have the nerve to preach to you about not losing your temper, that is the very thing that makes someone a hypocrite. Make sense? So the bad acting that people struggle with when it comes to hypocrisy in the church, it's a bunch of Christians who know their mess stinks. They know their life is jacked up. They know they've been saved by grace, but they walk around acting as if they've saved themselves. They walk around acting like they're not in need of saving. Or worse, they walk around acting like the reason everything is good in their life is because they do all of these things. It's the biggest disconnect in the church is the difference between our Sunday beliefs and our Monday living. And it really messes people up. So we got to do our best to unpack why do we act this way. We don't want to be a hypocrite. We kind of can establish that from the jump. A lot of people will tell you the reason they don't go to church is because of all the hypocrites, right? When you find a church that's perfect and has no hypocrites, let me let you know the minute you show up, you ruin it because you're there, right? When you find the perfect church, as soon as you walk through the door, you ruined it. You've messed it up. So believe me, if you're looking for a church that doesn't have some hypocritical people in, you're just not going to find one because we all mess up. We all blow it. So, so how then, why do we behave that way? If we know it's something we don't want to do, we know it doesn't honor God, why do we find ourselves in this cycle of hypocrisy? Well, I did some research on the psychology of hypocrisy because I'm a nerd, and of course I would be the guy that would read three books on why people become hypocrites. Uh, I did that years ago, by the way. I didn't just do that this week, so relax. Uh, but I've been studying this for years. Like, it's fascinating to me because I really want to know what's, what's behind uh, my propensity to maybe not always practice what I preach. And it's really fascinating when we dig into it. There's, there's three reasons, three main reasons, most psychologists will agree, of why humans will act in a hypocritical way. And as I juxtapose that with Malachi 2, I see, oh man, there's some really great principles that we can get out of it. So the first one is this. We act hypocritically because we lack assurance. We lack assurance. Let's jump back into Malachi chapter 2, verse 7 says this, the words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God and people should go to him for instruction. For the priest is a messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. But you, priests, have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused many to stumble in sin, and you have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites. That's probably the most important verse of that passage to get. The priest corrupted the covenant God made with the Levites. So that might be a really confusing sentence. You might not know, what the heck are you talking about? What's a covenant? What are the Levites? Well, basically... A covenant was a very, and covenant is, a very, very deep commitment one party makes to another party. It's very important. It's a vital covenant. And usually with a covenant, 
It's where someone makes a promise. I'm going to do this. I'm going to hold up my end, and you're going to hold up your end, and together we're going to live in this relationship for a while. In our culture, we use contracts. You're familiar with the contract? I'm not a lawyer, but contracts are basically designed to be the instrument of justice when you break the agreement. So a contract is spelled out to kind of hold you to the fire. You must do this, this, and this. And if you don't, here are the repercussions, the actions I can take. So a contract is almost like we know this relationship eventually is going to end. So here's what happens when the relationship ends. So you sign a one-year, two-year, three-year contract, right? A contract is not a covenant because a covenant is never supposed to be broken. In fact, when the Old, in the Old Testament, when they did their covenant ceremony, a lot of times they would go to the priest and have the priest offer a sacrifice, a goat, a lamb, and they would chop that animal up, nice and bloody, nice and steaming, and guts everywhere, right? You got the picture in your head? You guys hungry yet, right? You get nice and gross situation, and then they would walk through the animal, like they divided it in half, and they would walk through the animal, And it was kind of their symbolic way of saying, may what happened to this animal happen to me if I violate the covenant. Could you imagine doing that when you go to sign your new lease at your apartments, right? Let's chop up a lamb real quick, you know, butcher a cow, and then walk around in its blood, you know. May may what happened to this cow happen to me if my rent's not paid by the sixth, right? Could you imagine that's the culture we lived in? Covenant, a lot deeper with contract. So marriage is a covenant. It's not designed to ever be broken. It's not a contract where there's outs, where there's all these ways to get out of it. And so the Levites, they had a covenant with God that if they represented God and they took care of the temple and the house of worship, that God would take care of them. He would provide for them. In fact, there were 12 tribes in the people of Israel and only one of them, the Levites, they were actually called and set apart to be kind of God's ambassadors to the rest of of the nation. To use military speak, there were 12 divisions, and one of those divisions only had one job, the church stuff. You guys handle the temple furnishings. You represent people to God. So they had a very important uh, life, and they had a very important calling. And yet we fast forward here this far in their history, you know, and we see that they are completely messing up and violating what God called them to do. They were supposed to live reverent lives, lives of peace, be shining examples of service, and yet their actions were the exact opposite. Somewhere along the line, they lost assurance in their covenant with God. They lost the confidence that God's going to provide, God's going to make a way, and God's going to hold us to this covenant. And so they started living their own way. They started doing their own thing. The people of Israel came to those priests looking for truth, and instead they found a perversion of God's plan and God's methods. And I think that's one of the main reasons we see a lot of hypocrisy in the church today. People come to us looking for truth, and instead of the good news that Jesus saves us and keeps us, we try in vain to live up to some self-imposed and impossible form of morality that just is completely counter to who we are. We act like our mess doesn't stink. We become bad actors, hypocrites, and it messes everything up because we really lack assurance and who Jesus says we are. So we go out and try to live this life as if it's all on our own, even though we have assurance that our standing with God has nothing to do with our performance. Standing with God has nothing to do with our performance. In fact, 1 John 5, 11 through 12 tells us, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Our assurance is that God's given us life in Jesus. So I'm not saying it's not wrong to have it's, it's wrong to have doubts. I'm not saying it's wrong to, to, to question. I get all that. 
But I'm saying we don't have to let our doubts and our lack of assurance lead to hypocrisy. We can have assurance in Christ. So three reasons, three causes for hypocrisy. One, we lack assurance. Two, we love our wants. We love our wants. Basically, what we want is more powerful than what we know we should want. What we want is more powerful than what we know we should want, and it messes us up. I want to be healthy, and I want to be in shape. I know round is a shape, right? But I'd prefer a little more square, a little more V. If I'm like, don't act like you weren't flexing in the mirror this morning, men. You know, don't act like you weren't sucking in your gut, getting coffee out in the lobby. We saw you. You're on camera, right? We know. It matters. I want to be in shape. You know, I want to, I want to take care of myself. I train martial arts, and I try to do some stuff. But if I'm just really honest, as much as I want to be this lean, mean fighting machine, I really want a hamburger and a milkshake more. I just really want to eat 15 sour worms every chance I get a whole lot more than I really want to do burpees every single day, right? What I want overpowers what I know I should want. I know KFC biscuits are delicious. They're awesome. A lot of us look like this guy in this picture, right? We want to be in shape and lean and mean, but we're holding on to that bucket of chicken. We're holding on, right? We want to let go, but we just can't let go of the fried chicken. So what happens is my want... My want or my carnal desire for greasy, tasty food, it overpowers my cranial, my corneal desire for healthy living. Or to put it another way, your flesh overpowers the spirit, so to speak. So how do we reverse that? The only way to change is we have to become intimate with the right things. We have to become close to the right things. If I stay close to the gym, if I stay close to people who eat semi-right, and I stay close to people who exercise more than not exercise, eventually my life is going to be a reflection of that to which I am close to. Make sense? My mindset has to be on what do I want. If I want to be healthy, I can't constantly think about unhealth. I can't be in the gym at 6 in the morning dreaming about biscuits and gravy and sour worms. Mentally, if that's where my mind is, it doesn't matter where my body is. Your, 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 your body's going to follow your mind, right? Eventually, I'm going to leave that habit because I'm going to let this other thing. So instead, I have to fix my mind and think about what's good. I can't fantasize about laying on the couch while I'm trying to do my cardio. I need to be all in. I got to be present. I got to be completely engaged and committed, just like we talked about last week, all in to that thing. I can't live a life that reflects the grace and the hope and the love of Jesus if I spend all of my mental energy focusing on the opposite of the grace and the love and the hope of Jesus. I got to be all in. Look at Malachi, verse 10 of chapter 2 says this, are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? Judah has been unfaithful, and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. More on that later. Verse 12, may the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering to the Lord of heaven's armies. Harsh language that he's saying there. What does this mean? What does this have to do with our wants? Basically, the people of Judah, the men of Judah, were letting their flesh, letting what they wanted overpower what they know they should want. They broke covenant with God. They broke faith with God. They preferred intimacy with godless women over intimacy with God. They preferred living like the culture instead of trusting in God. And so God said to them, listen, 
I'm going to cut off everyone who does this and has the nerve to come offer me a sacrifice as if they weren't living this double life. Christ follower, you can't be intimate with Jesus and intimate with sin at the same time. You have to hate the sin. You have to say, God, I know I'm struggling dealing with this, but I'm not going to dwell in that. Maybe you can't grasp that. Let's, what about like this? You want to be a person of faith. You want to trust in God. You can't walk in faith and hang out in doubt every single day. You can't do it. Well, I'm anxious, God. I'm nervous. I'm always worried. You can't trust in God and let go of that anxiety and hang out in your worry every single day. Is Jesus able to save you? If you believe that, then that has to be the place you live. That's what you get close to. And when that other stuff starts rearing up, you got to run. You got to flee away from that mindset that wants to pull you the opposite of Christ. We can't say that I'm in Christ just in name only. Something in me has to start reflecting it for it to really, really stick, for it to really, really hold and really, really be true. I'm a drummer. Do you know how I know I'm a drummer? Because I can play the drums. Seems like a silly thing to say, but some of us need to be reminded of that. How do I know that I'm a drummer? Because if you put me behind that kit, I can play. You used to watch American Idol back in the day, right? How many of them crazies stood in that line and said they were singers? And two notes in, we found out real quick. There is no song in you, my friend. Sit down. I know the Bible says make a joyful noise to the Lord, but American Idol is not the Bible. Shut up. You can't sing, right? Just being honest. That felt good to get that out, right? What in your life proves that you're in Christ? What in life proves that you are in Christ? Here's an awesome thing. God never calls us to something that he doesn't equip us to do. He doesn't call us to something that he doesn't already set us up for success. And in John 13, 35, Jesus made it plain. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your love for one another. I can't love other people and be consumed with my wants. I can't love other people and care more about what I want than what I know I should want. That means instead of fighting with each other, we fight for each other. Instead of selfishly giving in to my wants, I consider, I engage God's word, and I find out what he wants for me, and I consider how my behavior, my action, is going to impact everyone else. And it causes me to then reflect the selflessness and the love of Jesus. I rest in him, and I trust him, and I allow him to change me from the inside out. Three causes of hypocrisy. We lack assurance. We love our wants. And then finally, we complicate faith. I think this is the most important one. We complicate faith. Psychologists think we basically the difficulty of our belief system is due to us making things complicated. Basically, we make our belief system so complex that we are able to rationalize why we can't be who we say we are because it's impossible. We overcomplicate faith so much that we basically create a system completely built by us that it's impossible to live up to. So then we can just justify, well, here's why I'm doing the wrong thing because I've made a system of worship in my mind that there's no way I could ever live up to that and follow that. So I can't do it. We set these limits. We say we're supposed to love the unlovable, but then we have a limit for who is unlovable. We have a line. I would do anything for you, Jesus, but I won't do that. And we hold on to that thing. That's, that's, I won't go that far. So we don't help a homeless person because we have a line. Oh, they're just going to spend it on drugs. Oh, they're just going to be a this. Oh, they're smelly. They're dirty. We use that ugly cliche. We should hate the sin and love the sinner. The only people I know say that don't know anyone who's a sinner. Like all their friends are Jesus people. 
How can I love someone I'm not in relationship with? How can I love someone I'm not willing to get down in some of that dirt and do life with? So we create a system that's so complex, there's no way that we can live it out. We become hypocrites. Or worse, we don't honor even our marital vows because we allow culture to overshadow God's design. In fact, in verse 13 through 15 of Malachi, we'll get there in a minute, he deals directly with how the Israelite men were divorcing their Jewish wives and marrying ungodly women just because of the culture. They complicated the faith. Let's look at verse 17 of Malachi chapter 2. God says, you've wearied me with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? You have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? So they created a system of faith where they basically said, listen, God's not doing what he said he was going to do. God's not getting rid of the evil in the world. So we're just going to do our own thing because obviously we can never live up to him and please him. So it's that same rationalization Paul addresses in Romans where people thought, well, since there's grace, I can just keep on sinning, right? Because where sin abounds, where there's sin, there's even more grace. And so Paul, even in in Romans, had to attack that same logic. If God is just, why doesn't he just take care of? Why is there evil in the world? We let these really complex questions, and believe me, they're complex. We let them overcomplicate a very simple faith that's found in trusting in God. Not turning off our brain, but trusting in God. And realizing that I have to trust in God more than my ability to figure everything out. His ways are above our ways, the Bible tells us. His thoughts are above our thoughts. So we complicate faith by messing it up instead of just trusting, simply trusting in God. Water is pure. Nothing in it. It's water. It's refreshing. I love it. But for some of us, you know what's cool about water too, it's pretty much the only fluid you need to survive. That and blood, which is made up of, it's got some water in it, right? (laughs) Water, it's awesome. But some of us, for some of us, water is not good enough. So we take our water and we add to it the extract of coca and some citric acid and some caffeine and some sugar and lime juice and some vanilla and some caramel and some phosphoric acid, a little bit of alcohol and some lemon oil and some coriander oil and some cinnamon oil and some nutmeg oil. And we turn our water into Coke. You know Coke, Coca-Cola. We turn it into something that's perfect for degreasing our driveways. We take pure water, and because it's not good enough, we turn it into a fluid that will literally eat your teeth out of your mouth. It will literally make your joints begin to deteriorate if you consume it in enough fashion. Do you not have any, if you don't have diabetes in this room, do you want it? Just drink a bunch of Coke every day, and it'll come your way really quick. This is not like deep health expertise I'm giving you here. You could go to Wikipedia and read this stuff. It's the truth. We take water, which starts out being good for you, right? And it's not good enough for some. And so we add all this stuff to it and we turn it in to something that actually in the long term is quite toxic. Many people do the same thing with our faith. They do the same thing with what it means to follow. Much of our problems with hypocrisy come because we take the simple, pure, gospel, simple, pure, Jesus loves me, Jesus saved me, and we complicate it. We add all this stuff to it, our flavor, our mess. We add all this junk to it, and it ends up creating a version of worship, a version of following Jesus that looks nothing like the pure Jesus. And that is what people who are not connected to Jesus are sick of. That complicated, comes so complicated, I can't even live 
for him. We take the simple truth of God's grace and repentance and belief in Jesus, connection with community, and we complicate it with all this other stuff. And it gets so complicated that it becomes easier to act like a Christian than to actually just follow Christ. Can you believe that? We create a system that actually rewards fakeness instead of celebrating the authentic people who are broken, saved by grace, and who need Jesus. Especially in our homes. We live this double life, especially in our home life. And Malachi, he gets all in the people's grill because their home life did not match God's best for them. Let's look back at verse 13 in Malachi chapter 2. And then we'll wrap this up. He says, here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Now that's hard for us to hear in our culture where divorce is so rampant. And this is not, again, it's not a condemnation to anyone in the room who's been divorced. In fact, if you've been divorced, we're glad you're here. One church is the church for you. If you've went to another church and maybe been shunned because you went through that in your life, welcome. We're glad you're here. We love you. There's grace. There's forgiveness. We can always, it's never too late to be who we could have been. We can always uh, move forward in Jesus. This is not a condemnation beating someone up who's been divorced. This is God laying the hammer down on the importance of covenant to his people Israel, and he's using divorce as the type. See, God designed marriage to be a reflection of his relationship with us. He wants us to experience his love and his mercy so much that marriage is just one of those instruments, one of those community tools he created to really, really typify the union and the oneness that he wants with us. So when people see our marriages, if you're in here and you're married, they should see a reflection of a relationship with God. And that's what he wanted for the people of Israel. But by them divorcing their wives and going out and sleeping around, doing all this stuff, they basically were misrepresenting his name. So that's why he comes so hard down on them. There are a lot of things that the Bible's going to tell you that God hates blank. He opposes the proud, the Bible tells us. But he's really clear. He hates this thing because it's a violation of covenant. So imagine the impact one church we could have right here in Clarksville, in the world, if our home lives, our marriages, our relationships actually matched who we claim to be. Imagine what we could do. Those of us who maybe you're married again, imagine what could happen if this time your life, your marriage really represented God's best. Imagine the impact you can make on your family. You can make on everything. That's just phenomenal. Wonderful. So I think our previews are playing the speakers. Uh, all right, so, so we'll wrap up. What do we do? How can we be and not just appear to be? Well, number one, we got to walk by faith. We walk by faith. We choose to trust God. No matter what the situation is, no matter what it is I'm facing, when I'm struggling, I'm going to choose to trust God and his plan. I'm going to choose to trust God and his purposes. That means when the junk hits the fan, I'm going to run to God and not into myself. Does that make sense? Practically, what does that mean? Open the Bible. Read what God has to say about your situation. 
Pick up your phone. Text someone in your community group. Say, hey, help me. If you're not in a community group here, a small group, go to our Facebook page and say, hey, one church people, I'm struggling. Help me. Someone will reach out to you, but choose to trust God in the middle of that struggle. Second thing we got to do is we got to keep it real. We got to keep it real. So we got to find and apply accountability in our life. This is why it's so important. If you're not in a community group yet, I encourage you, sign up for these short-term groups that we have. Surround yourself with people. I believe accountability is an ethical force multiplier. Accountability helps us live out the things we want to live. Having people in my life that can call me on my mess, that I can come to when I'm struggling, is just a game changer. So walk by faith, keep it real. And then finally, keep it simple. Don't complicate your faith. Rest in Jesus. When you're confronted with sinfulness, rest in the truth that the Bible says, if I confess my sin, God is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from wrongdoing. First John 1, 9. I can rest in the simple truth that Jesus saves. Instead of jumping through all the hoops and thinking you got to put on this big performance to get right with God, I can keep it simple and rest and say, wait a minute, he loves me. He saved me and we can rest and run in him. I pray for us that we would be and not just appear to be. I pray that we would be all that he's called us to be as Christ followers and that every day we would make the most out of every opportunity we get to represent him. As Christ followers, we're called to be and not just appear to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word. Help us to trust you. Help us to walk in your goodness. Help us, God, to just truly, instead of thinking we have to figure it out on our own, rest in the assurance that we have in you. I thank you for saving us. I thank you for calling us your people. I pray, God, if there's a person in this room who has not yet said yes to you, this would be the moment, the day that they say, Lord, help me, forgive me. I've tried to go on my own way. I pray, God, that you would save them, not because of anything they've done, but because of your mercy and your love. Help us, Lord, to trust you more. We don't want to be hypocrites. Forgive us for being fakes. Help us to be authentic people, saved by grace, trusting in you. In the strong name of Jesus.